When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Started in 2008, Big Think is a kind of online think tank of big ideas from some of the most creative thinkers on the planet. On the podcast, we revisit these ideas in new and different ways. Our producers surprise me and my guests with short interview clips from Big Think's archives, ideas that we didn't necessarily come here prepared or expecting to discuss. I'm very happy to be here today in the middle of a New York City snowstorm with Scott Ackerman. He's a comedy writer, director, and producer who started out on HBO's Mr. Show with Bob and David. He's the creator of Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, and the long-running IFC show. And he co-created and directs Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis, for which he's won two Emmys. Scott is also a self-taught Nobel laureate physicist who has invented a device for time travel, which he's brought with him into the studio today. Is that correct? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I have it right here. Um, it's what, what people don't really know is it's so small. I mean, they don't expect that. Usually when you see a time machine, you know. Is that know, it on your lapel? Yeah, like, this is it. Yeah, this is right here. I mean, oh, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's very small. I'm talking into it right now, actually. Um, oh, and it's, oh my God! It's, it looks what, exactly what, like I wouldn't have no. It looks just like a microphone. Oh, it is my. Yeah, what it's doing is it's projecting my voice through time into the future, so people are going to hear this in the future rather than right now. Oh, I see. I thought you were talking to us from the past. I thought that meant you were in I, some I, other. I mean, people who are listening to this certainly oh, that, are listening to me in the past. Yes. I see. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a time machine. So now. you, but your present is two thousand. 17. Yes, yeah, obviously, I'm, but I mean, I'm people could be listening to this in, you know, 2018, uh, 2034, 2192, right. you know, that's, that's what this time machine I've invented really allows. That is amazing. Yeah. I wonder if there will still be podcasts then. Oh, definitely. I hope so. If I have anything to say about it, my <laughs> dear boy. <laughs> um, cool. Well, maybe later in the show you'll be able to transport us some other when. That mm -hmm. would be really fun. Yeah, I can't go in the past, unfortunately. Oh, only to the future. It only goes to the future, yeah. All right, okay, mm -hmm. all right. So I want to ask you a couple of different things. One is like... You mean like an interview? Yeah, sort of like an interview. Okay, I have great. a list of talking points here, which I'm Bro, going to refer I'm to. I'm into it. Okay, cool. One of them is, you know, I think it might be edifying for people who don't know, like, how did you end up doing all these things that you have done? Like, you started out as like a musical theater nerd, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I w it's kind of hurtful to call me a nerd. I well, I was really a nerd. I, I, I was, was trying to bond with you. <laughs> That's um. right. I may still be a nerd, actually. The audience can't see me, so they don't know that. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> I always loved comedy. I, I grew up really wanting to do it. 
I was in speech classes in high school, and I um, one year I did what they call in speech the original prose poetry speech, um, which is where you write your own speech uh, okay. instead of reading something from a play or a book or, or okay. you, dramatic and humorous interpretation. Why is prose poetry? It. Why why not original just... prose slash oh I see poetry, I see, yeah. I see okay. So you could just read a poem, or you could, you know. So uh, I wrote something called dramatic speech because I'd been doing speech for a couple of years at that point. I noticed that everyone who did the dramatic speeches, they would do something from Night Mother, which would all, <laughs> all be about like suicide, or right. or uh, they would always like do a speech where the dramatic part of it would be where they would reveal, and I was raped. You know, yeah. and then people would go, <gasps> and then they would win these awards or whatever. So, right. I, so I did a parody of those called Dramatic <laughs> Speech, where I was, I was playing a guy who had to write a speech and realized that if you said the most, the most horrible thing had happened to you, then you would win an award. You know, so right. I wrote a parody of Dramatic Speeches. You know, what did you say had happened to you? I remember. <laughs> A lot of it had to do, gosh, I don't even remember, but it had to do something with like, I was molested. And then I was talking about how it was like a fun thing that happened oh or something. God. I don't know. That like, actually brings me to something I want to ask you about in a little bit. Um, I don't know if we're there yet, though. Cool. I want to make oh, a I'll note. Come back make a to mental that. note. A mental note. Molested. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> By uh, the way, you've started crying. Tears are running down your face right now. Yeah. You're, you're the, making a like a mental note, like a connection to something that happened. <laughs> before. The audience can't see me, so <laughs> stop telling them what I, what's happening on my face. But yeah, so, I, I, I yeah. So that was how one did thing? I, I really love comedy, and right. I and I and I. I won awards. I won like third in in state uh, for that speech. Um, but musical and, theater seems so like wholesome compared yeah. to so like that, alternative comedy. And I'll say I'll say that seemed easier to get into. Like comedy was this thing that I couldn't figure out how to break into. Right. And and I part of me has a personality where I feel like if I can't do something and and achieve. At a certain level, okay. I don't want to do it. You're super ambitious and competitive, right? So yeah, I, okay. so I, I, okay. I've been in a couple of bands. For instance, I was in one band while I started doing comedy, and being in a band sucked. And especially in a band in L.A. and you know paying to play in these clubs, and and no one would come. And I remember my very last gig. I broke two strings on the first song, and there were only three people in the crowd. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. If I can't compete at the highest level, I don't want to do it. Right. So I couldn't figure out how to break into comedy. And I was okay. like, okay, that seems too hard to do. Um, I'll do musical theater. And that I could kind of figure out because I was pretty good at singing. And I was like, okay, if I go to this school, I can get the training I need. And then I'll be able to like do regional theater and then I'll do Broadway and then, you know, the Tonys and all that kind of stuff. And so, right. so like I had, there's this, a pathway, that there's a pathway that I could yeah. figure out, but there was no pathway that I could figure out for comedy. And I read every book. Um, I read like Steve Allen's how to be funny. And that was just more about like being a funny person or whatever. And then I read, um, books about standup. I couldn't quite figure it out other than like go to the comedy store in LA and just start doing it. I couldn't figure out how to write the act or whatever. Gotcha. SNL, I would see it and go, well, how do you get on SNL? I have no idea. I have to interject here and say that mm -hmm. I was briefly, at the worst job I ever had, I was 
well, no, the second worst. I was a walking messenger in New York, like hmm. not even a bike messenger. Mm -hmm. I was walking. And, and I slowly, too, from what I heard. Pretty slowly. <laughs> and one of the places on the beat was NBC. Like 30 Saturday, Rockefeller Plaza. Yeah, yeah, Saturday, Saturday Night Live sure. Studios. Studio and, 8H. <laughs> yeah, and for, you know, I was in NYU drama school, and for that whole summer, my father tried to persuade me to, like, go into Lorne Michaels' office and give him a, like, yeah. VHS. Sure. Now, now you had... <laughs> You had the sense to not do that, right? I, I yeah, I was like, yeah. Dad, that is you know ridiculous. Yeah. And my dad was like, You just need to. That is yeah. what that's what Bill Gates did. You know, no one like, should do that. Uh, <laughs> um, now, uh, look, every once in a rare while, something like that will happen where like Tim and Eric um, sent a videotape to Bob Odenkirk, right, out of the blue. And who's he, a nice guy and who's a nice to guy happened to pop it thing. in, loved yeah. it, and yeah. said, "Oh, come on out." and I'll produce your TV show and then yeah I would have been pulled taken out in chains yeah. or whatever yeah they're, they're, it wouldn't have worked for that <laughs> for that show but um, anyway sorry. but yeah, yeah that I mean I remember when I did when I did that speech that I talked about in high school mm -hmm. I had people who were like man that was so funny like you should do that on David Letterman and I was like even I knew I was like <laughs> I love the David Letterman show. Like, I would think that if a kid like me came on doing that speech, that would be stupid. Right. Like, I would go, boo! <laughs> so, like, I had sense, the yeah. sense to know it's not going to happen from doing that, you know? And, right. and literally, all that stuff was was training. That was just like, oh, wow, I'm getting comfortable in front of a crowd. I'm getting used right. to, like, timing. I'm getting used to laughs and all that kind of stuff. So... And anyway, like auditioning and yeah. getting used to rejection, yeah. I suppose. So yeah. I did musical theater and I did like, you know, funny shows sometimes like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I played the French brother and oh, that, okay. you know, and that's like getting a lot of laughs and stuff. Right. So it's, you know, training and stuff. But I but I always was like, uh, I just, I love comedy, but I don't think I could ever break into it. And I was writing a lot of plays. I was I was writing like a lot of dramatic plays okay. with a little bit of comedy in it. And then I, I remember I wrote just a really dumb play that I put up that was like a half hour play. And I remember it was called Das Trinklied von Jammer der Ert. <laughs> and what it was was I came out at the beginning as the playwright and I said, um, hey everyone, it was just me. I said, um, my grandmother used to read me children's stories when I was young from this book and they were always just fantastic stories and just filled with imagination and, I, and I've never heard any of these stories before. She passed away and I was going through her attic and I found this book that she would always read from mm -hmm. and I knew I had to adapt one of these stories into a play. Now she's German and I don't speak or read German and this book is all in German. Um, so I've had to guess at <laughs> what uh, the translation would be. But I think I picked up enough that um, I think it's going to be pretty faithful. <laughs> and then it was a 20-minute play of the most stilted, weird dialogue. <laughs> um, and people, like, doing things for no reason and just, like, insanity. And I remember people came up to me and were like, you know, your dramatic plays are fine or whatever. But they go, this is really you. This is like your personality. Gotcha. This is like the funniest thing you've ever done. I went, yeah, but it's comedy. Like, you know, uh, there's, there's no way to get into it. Oh, okay. So it took, it literally took me in LA working as a waiter and writing. I wrote a pilot spec that was sort of dramatic and I showed it to my friend, my theater friend. And she was like, 
oh, I hate it. <laughs> um, she goes, I, your, your dramas suck. Good to have honest friends. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, she goes, your dramas are really bad. She goes, you're so funny. Why aren't you doing comedy? And I said, I don't know how. And she said, well, look, my roommate, she is a comedian. And she has friends who do a show at the comedy store. And if I put in a word for you and say you're funny, they'll just put you up one night, sight unseen. Just go do it and just try it. And Doing the German thing or no, just no, something, this was, whatever? This, just yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I said, okay, great. Yeah, go ahead and tell them I'm going to do it. And I got a date. And me and my friend who uh, I did it with, we were talking about what we were going to do. And we figured out something to do that... We were like, like we think this is really funny, but I don't think anyone else is going to find this funny. And I remember we we rehearsed it and we performed it for his girlfriend, and she went like, "That is not going to go well." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but we just had this belief that it was funny, and in our mind's eye, we saw ourselves doing it and everyone laughing. And so maybe there was something in it, I guess, that you didn't. She wasn't. You weren't she, that yet. She had. Whatever. She yeah. had the fear of you can't do that. Right, you're gonna be laughed at. You're gonna you're gonna make a fool out of yourself. Right. She had that fear because she cared about him. Yeah, she was like trying to protect him. And right. that's what like a lot of parents do. You know, sure. they're like, don't do that, don't do that. I I want to protect you. But that's you're, death for comedy, right? I mean, like you got it. You kind of have to go through that. Sort. I, I mean, you know, the the moral of the story is we went up on the show. It was at the Comedy Store and it was uh, Mary Lynn Rice Cub from 24 was hosting it okay. um, uh, with her friend CJ Arabia. And we went up and I got just like the biggest laugh I'd ever heard. It like blew everyone away. And it was the biggest laugh, laughs of the night for any, and it was, and it was people were at this show, they would do it every week. It was people like David Cross and Janine Garofalo and Gotcha. And Margaret Cho and all these people. And we were so out of our depths. But we just had this belief it would be funny. And that's where it all came from. Is like that one night it was like I tried it and I did it. And it was really my friend showing me a path to success that will come up for a lot of people. Right. A lot of times people go, well, well I don't have a friend who has a comedian roommate. So how, how am I going to make it? There are opportunities like that if you put yourself in the position of making friends, putting your art out there, right. being in the right place, moving to LA or New York or Chicago. It's just interesting. That, that will come up that will come up that you just need to take advantage of. It's just interesting how serendipitous it was though that like I mean you you know you would have probably gone on writing your ponderous dramas. Maybe. Uh, or, or maybe it would have gotten been, better or maybe I know. would have been tired of it yeah, and said, yeah, you know yeah, what, yeah, I should yeah, write comedy yeah, and I would have, yeah. you know, found out a different way into it right, or whatever. Right. That was the way that I happened to get into it that actually worked out for me. Everything can kind of be traced back to that because Bob Odenkirk was there that when we did it two weeks later and offered us a job writing on Mr. Show. Gotcha. And I, I fell in with that particular crowd of people who became my people and we all became very supportive of, of each other and have worked together for decades since. And those were my people and everyone else can right. find their people similarly. So you were talking earlier like about you know how in that drama speech that you did, uh, mm -hmm. dramatic comedy speech, you know, you went to like an extremely outrageous extreme talking about having been molested. I wanted to talk about cold-bloodedness in comedy. I guess maybe Sarah Silverman is the first time where I just, where I saw what seemed like a new kind of comic, although it 
probably isn't. There's nothing new under the sun. Maybe it was... Ah, oh, the immortal bard. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. Willie Shakes. I was just watching excerpts from Comedy Bang Bang, and we should have your uh, reference referee in here going, <laughs> you know. Yes, the going, referencee. Right, exactly. That is... <laughs> reference. Shakespeare, looking it up. Um, so, but no, I mean, like, there's something, like, on Comedy Bang Bang, like, all you guys, in some ways, like, Paul F. Tompkins and, and Reggie Watts, like, there's the... And Zach on Between Two Ferns. There's this, mm -hmm. like deliberate lack of empathy or something that goes on in that comedy like where you just like where Zach can sit across from another human being and treat them mm -hmm. totally like shit and I mean everyone knows that it's a joke but mm -hmm. you know but it seems different I don't know like I, I, I'm not saying that there's like wholesome comedy and whatever but sure. do you want to kind of like dig into that at all? Like, yeah and actually what's interesting is I think comedy bang bang and between two ferns are actually vastly different in their approaches to the comedy I mean okay. um, a lot of times we'd get a guest on Bang Bang who, you know, to be honest, is doing it because they hear I do Between Two Ferns. And right. they're like, oh, then, then it'll probably be good because that's the, pop, the more popular thing, you know? Right. Just as I would be about to talk to them, I'd say, oh, by the way, this is not like Between Two Ferns where we're like doing slams or we're, you know, I'm coming at you hard. You know, this is, right. this is us having fun. And, and really, this is just going to be us goofing around and doing bits. And people would go, oh, okay, good. I remember once um, <laughs> I had Jack Black, whom I've known for a long time, um, on Bang Bang. And there was one really funny question that was kind of mean. And okay. I don't remember what it was, but one of the writers wrote it. And I was like, oh, I got to give it up to the craft on that question, because it was just like an expertly kind of worded slam. Okay. And I thought, oh, I know Jack, it'll be fine. And I said it first question, and he went, oh, that's mean, <laughs> and his face dropped. <laughs> and it was like, oh no, we're doing Bang Bang. We're not doing Between Two Ferns. We're doing like Bang Bang, where we're like having fun and doing goofy stuff. So, so. He, Jack wasn't prepared to like, or wasn't no, it wasn't the right. Mode. it wasn't yeah. the right place. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah. came on to do Bang Bang, it's like going, you know, and doing Pee Wee's Playhouse, and Pee Wee is like, you know, you're ugly and you're fat. Right. No, he would never do that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're a they're a little bit different. Although I will say in Bang Bang that we we would flirt with it. Sometimes I would take out jokes that were too mean. Sometimes. Yeah, but... I guess I don't mean. I, I I guess I'm not talking about being mean exactly. It's just like. It's this thing where, like, the humans in the comedy situation, like, mm -hmm. are totally sort of solipsistic. Like, they're not prepared to necessarily get right. the other person at all. Like, they're right. just, like, going to say something completely random and outrageous that has to do with their own internal... Right, they don't self. have a filter. Yeah. And they're just thinking about themselves. Yeah. And they, they're not... Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, on Bang Bang... The storylines would also we'd we'd be very empathetic to the other characters. I think that's what we we like. Okay. Reggie and I, the whole reason people liked our relationship is because we you know, we would vary it from episode to episode. Occasionally I do an episode where I'm only thinking about myself. Right. <laughs> um, right. But we, we had a relationship where we were looking out for one another. Um, and so I think that became like a source of sort of grounding and over and time. And like over time, yeah, exactly. Thing. But I but I know what you mean. I think it's all to me, it's all about intent, you know? It's all about, like, you know, when I, on Bang Bang, if I was doing kind of the Scott Ackerman character who is self-centered and only kind of concerned with, you know, my own birthday and why no one is throwing <laughs> me a party and it's because everyone hates me. Right. You know, that to me is like, 
I don't know. I'm just trying to goof around and have a good time. You know that I'm not doing it to be mean. You know it's just like you right, know, right, the stereotypical right. Jack Benny. Right. No, we don't get the sense, you know, that, yeah, that it's like sort of nihilistic, like mm-hmm. misanthropy. Yeah. Base and when Zach does it on Between Two Ferns, our goal is not to do like a prank show. And we tell people who get involved in it, right. like, we're not doing a prank show. I'm not here to capture you getting insulted so I can show that to the world of you literally, looking your face ridiculous. falling and yeah. looking looking ambushed. Now, we do ambush them in a certain way because we hide the questions from them. They don't know what we're going to ask, and we, right. and we spring stuff on them. But they know but, what they're walking into. But they know what they're walking into, and, yeah. we, and we say to them, you know, look, if you have an issue with anything that we actually say any joke that we make for any kind of personal reason or whatever just let us know and we're not going to use it like we want you to be comfortable because yeah. i hate making people feel uncomfortable you know and there's there's been a few times on bang bang or doing the podcast where people get upset and it's like that's not the kind of environment that i like to I don't, to have i don't know how the hell sasha baron cohen did that for i think he thrives a couple in seasons yeah. of, i mean in the movies too but yeah, yeah. And I love that kind of stuff. And Nathan Fielder, that kind of stuff, you know? I don't like, know who's, and who's that. Oh, he does a, a show called Nathan For You on Comedy Central. Okay. It's really funny. It's like a, it's, it's a, a reality show, technically. He's in character, sort of, as a version of himself. Um, and he has to keep a very straight face. And um, he's in a position where he's surrounded by people where anything can happen. And... That kind of stuff just makes me really uncomfortable to perform. I love watching it, but I remember I did, I was doing a pilot and um, there was a period in time, a period of time where maybe because of Jackass or I don't know what it was, where every show you would ever develop, if you were developing a sketch show, they would go, well, can there be a prank element to it? So we said, okay, you know what, we'll do, we thought of a really funny idea where we went out on Hollywood Boulevard with Natasha Leggero and um, she was interviewing people, and we had a list of questions that she would ask people right. of like, who's your greatest hero? And then she'd ask a bunch of different questions, and then like 20 questions later she'd go, who's the most evil person in history? And then our idea was we were going to edit it together, so like she would go, who's your greatest hero? And the person would go, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Right, um, And we thought that was very clever and it was funny and we were all set to do it. And I remember we got out there on the street. We got a permit for Hollywood Boulevard and we got out there on the street and Natasha stops the very first person and goes, who's your greatest hero? And the person goes, I see what you're doing. You're going to mix up all of our answers and you're going to make us look stupid. And I went, oh God. Yeah. And I just felt... I felt so uncomfortable. You'd also so. get sued if you have somebody say their hero is Adolf Hitler, probably, eh, right? No? No? They don't they get away. Release, they don't want to pay the legal fees. If they anything. sign a release, I think you can. <laughs> and it's obviously done satirically, where it's right. like, obviously they didn't say yeah. Adolf Hitler. And you show the workings of the editing behind right, it, right. then I think you get away with it. But So you got one, so the first person was pretty the first savvy. person was so savvy that we were like, oh man, this doesn't feel right. This does, and I hated doing it. So the next show, the sketch show that I did, again, we were asked, like, can there be a prank element to it? And I said, no. <laughs> I just was like, I'm not interested in doing that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, and so so now, you know, the next thing that you have coming out is, um, or a thing you have upcoming is this Michael Bolton's big sexy Valentine's Day special. 
which seems, I, I watched the preview, it seems to be in keeping with the tradition started on Between Two Ferns, at least, of like people who we expect to take themselves more seriously than we see them taking themselves in this thing. Yeah, it's sort of in the <laughs> genre of Between Two Ferns and Bang Bang of people making TV shows ostensibly and things going wrong on it that you don't expect. I mean, Michael Bolton, though, like you picture like people from of my generation, like when he was, you know, in his prime, mm -hmm. like we picture him. Yeah, just as the kind of guy like Fabio. Yeah, taking himself like really, really seriously. Yeah, but a lot of his old videos are like all those slow motion, him on a cliff. Yeah. staring off into a sunset and like horses galloping through yeah and, and you guys have turned that up to 11 you've got him like on a flying pegasus and stuff right. with like a rose in his teeth yeah. right yeah he takes <laughs> he takes the concept of love very very seriously in this special <laughs> and it's his responsibility to make people make love so do you think that people will actually that that everyone who watches the show will instantly be impelled to make love i hope so i mean i hope that when people watch it, they'll get an erection that'll last for four to six hours at least. Um, you know, they'll just become engorged, um, and their genitalia will have blood rushing to it. And um, you do know. you guys need to put a disclaimer about that, or like, is there some? Yeah, should we, there should be a disclaimer. This is like, if you're not fucking right now, there is something seriously <laughs> wrong with you. And I mean, if I saw a disclaimer like that, I would laugh myself silly, probably. But, yeah. But um. And probably go take some kind of sexual action. I yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, as long as it were mutual, of course. Yes, and, yes, know. of course. Of course. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not yeah, <laughs> proposing anything. No, of course uh, not. Untoward. Um, I don't know. It was fun to do. I'd never worked with Michael before, I, and I'd never really um, kept really that much up on his career, what was going on. Certainly in the 90s when he was very popular, I knew what was happening. Sure. Um, and then when he worked with the Lonely Islands doing Jack Sparrow, I became aware of him again and was like, oh, wow, he's really funny. So when, when the opportunity came up to do this, it was the idea, just the title made me laugh. Yeah. So I said, okay, yeah, I'm in. Let's it, do it. It looks really funny. Where, what is it? Uh, what channel is Netflix. it? Netflix. Yeah. So okay. it's on forever. Okay. Yeah. So no matter when you're listening to this in the time machine, right. it's going to be up there. But you might want to treat your honey to it on Valentine's Day. Literally, I think. Yeah. Look, your honey may want to make love while looking at Michael Bolton. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is possible. You know? Although his hair is not so long and flowing as once I recall it no. was. Or am he, I misremembering he, that? No, he definitely, yes. morphed him into Fabio? Or? No, no, no. He, uh, they had very similar mullety types of haircuts and right. now he uh, has short hair now but um, not but he's still no he's hot no not question. to give anything away yeah, yeah. too that may factor into the plot of the special a little bit okay all right so we'll, i think let's keep the rest of that under wraps mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. all right so let's get on to the second part of the show where we watch these surprise clips that our producers have chosen for us that we do not know what they are about but each is awesome the first one is chris gethard called comics can say whatever they want Audiences can react however they want. Mm -hmm. Let's see if that's true. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. 
Download the new Bumble now. People do actively say like political correctness is killing comedy, especially on college campuses. And it's very, very interesting because I think a part of it's true. I think I'm a very notoriously positive comic. I think especially with the show I do, it's like very, very inclusive. We just threw an episode called The Gender Fluid Polyamorous Prom that was all about just including every lifestyle. I'm, the, I think, notoriously on the PC end of things, and I still get feedback from people that's like in attack mode about issues. And I'm like, wow, I, I live on the fringe of, I live on the liberal progressive fringe of comedy, kind of notoriously, and I get attacked sometimes. But it's a very, very interesting thing because comics tend to have this knee-jerk reaction of, well, we're creative people and our work builds by doing it on stage again and again. We should be allowed to say and do whatever we want. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think comics do need permission to fail. I think comics do need permission to go up and try stuff. I've said some things on stage where the crowd was like, whoa, no, that's... And I never say it again because that's the feedback I get. And there's a part of me that knows so much of it's internet driven. If somebody had a camera on and put that joke on, on the internet and it went wide, I'd be like, no, that's why I, was, I tried it. That's why I went and tried it, because to know that it wouldn't work and that it would bug everybody out. That's why I wouldn't want to do it again, or I'd at least fix the parts that turned everybody off. So it is tough. But I think the, the other side of the coin that I think we as comics need to maybe cop to a little bit more is like, we are allowed to say whatever we want. But also people are allowed to get as offended as they're going to get. They're allowed to. And we don't have to like it. They don't have to like us. And that's totally fine. Too many comedians use that as an excuse to just say whatever they want with no consequence. I don't think that's cool either. People want to get up and just say crazy things. People want to say stuff that's like racist, homophobic, sexist. Just say like, well, I'm a comic, man. We're the truth tellers in society. We can just say whatever we want. You can't judge us for it. And it's like, well, you can. You can say whatever you want, but if a crowd turns on you and if a think piece gets written that you got bad intentions, you might have to just own that. I think at the end of the day, I'll always dig colleges because I think young people give you good feedback. I think they're always, you always have to, if my jokes ever stop hitting with young people, I'll probably retire immediately because it means I'm washed up. And also those college gigs, they pay great cash, man. There's just been so much over the past couple years of like big iconic com comics commenting on political correctness. Well, and more than comics, like literally the president of the United States talking about political correctness all the time, you know. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. And, I, and and it's turned into this weird thing where like it's kind of splitting liberals down the middle and, you know, like yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I you know, I was talking about this earlier today actually. Um you know, I, I think the comedian's instinct and part of what makes a comedian a comedian is the instinct to say, hey, I'm going to push the boundaries a little and I'm going to push the envelope. And it's that, you know, being a kid sort of like saying, hey, can I say this? <laughs> right. Can I do this? And right. then you getting smacked and going, no, you can't do that. And a, a comedian will naturally, hopefully, go further than what's expected or what society maybe thinks that they should do. So... If someone will write to me and say, hey, you know, on the latest episode of your podcast, you were joking about this topic, and that is not a topic to be joked about, so change. And I will say no. Uh, I yeah. want to talk about what I want to talk about. But hand in hand with that, Chris is really right. 
you have to take the responsibility then to say, yeah, there is free speech. I'm not going to be prosecuted for it. <laughs> right. But an audience is very free to go like, hey, your point of view is not a cool one. <laughs> right. Um, right. Your, your construction of your joke is not well thought out. The topic that you're talking about turns me personally off as a human being where I can't get past right. hearing about something that explicitly happened to me in my life to where I'm not enjoying myself anymore, you know? And that's, right. and that's what's gonna happen with people and that's not their fault. Sure, and like then, you know, like your audience will find you and the people, or, or you'll change. Or you'll you change know? the yeah, joke, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's an example of something that we did on Bang Bang um, in the last season. There were two sketches that sort of were pressing buttons a little bit. The first one, it was really funny, and it was written by um, two Jewish writers. I mention that because it was something where uh, we turned it in, and the network was saying, hey, I think this is offensive to Jewish people. Okay. And I said, well, it can't be because two Jewish people wrote it. Now, that's not necessarily true. I'm, I, but that was my first instinct. I'm right, like, right. What are you talking about? Like, two Jewish people wrote this, so it's not offensive. Right. But I take stuff like that seriously, so I went to a lot of Jewish people, and I said, what do you think about this? What do you, what do you think about this sketch? Do you think it's offensive? And people would say, I would say 50% of people would go, no, I'm not offended by that, but maybe there are people who don't get offended easily. So I would go to other people and right. go, what do you think about this? And most people said, no, there is one thing that I think is going too far. Okay. And then they named the one thing, and I went, oh, And that easy. was the same one thing for It was the same people. one thing usually, yeah. right? And, and, yeah. I, and I went, oh, easy, let's take out that one thing. Because I'm not sitting there trying to make, trying to go like, let's stick it to the Jews. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so we, right. we changed that one thing. And there was another, there was another sketch that a really funny um, writer wrote who, and I mentioned this because it's germane to the topic, is a woman. And she wrote a really funny sketch about um, female and male behavior. Okay. Um, and what like shitty douchey guys would do to women when they're trying to pick them up. Right. And there was a, a really well constructed joke in it that like every writer on the staff was like, that's like we as comedy writers know that is so funny because it took it further than it should have gone and we were like oh man that's <laughs> like that is brilliant and that when i would show it to any woman is the point where they would go i don't like this sketch we realized and we got a note from the network by the way that said hey that, we don't think that's cool and i was like yeah but you're just network people and then i would show it to people i whose um, right. whose opinion i really respect and they would go i don't like that sketch and it was that one line. And so there are jokes that are only okay with comedians. No, no, that's, no, that's, that's not even what I'm saying. That's, I know. that's like, it's just the audience is often right. Yeah, and yeah. the audience, you have to listen to the audience. And, and a lot of times it's about intent. And it's about what Chris is talking about there, about the guy who's like doing a, a joke about rape. rape. Yeah. It's about intent. This guy didn't intend for it to be probably anything more. And I remember this story anything more than just like a joke at a show where people tell offensive jokes, like purposefully in offensive. Right. He, ne he didn't mean it to be anything other than that, like pushing the boundaries thing. He doesn't, he doesn't have the intent where he's like, I actually think this is funny on a level of like, I'm saying something about rape. Right. He's saying something about shock humor. 
He's not saying something about right. rape. You right. Know? So, so it's taken out of context, blown yes. all over the internet. That yeah. said, if there is a comedian who's like doing rape jokes, dude, you you have to have a really well thought out rape joke for it to be so awesome that it's unimpeachable <laughs> that everyone should laugh at it. Right. You know what I mean? Right, like right. you gotta be Right, you gotta earn that. Yeah. You gotta be a fucking master at <laughs> right. it. You right. know what I mean? Right, right. And and if you're not, you gotta be fine with the fact that people are gonna say, like, hey, a lot of times it's a dude, like, hey, you're a guy who has never been raped, who who has no fear of that. Right. And what position of power are you coming from where you're like joking about this thing, which is a very serious problem for people and something that's a major major fear and a major issue with you know such a large percentage of the population like who the fuck are you to be talking about this right and so maybe maybe you could take a look at your life and go oh maybe i shouldn't be talking about this like maybe i should be empathetic to people you know and that's when people when people like you know the president talk about like people are too pc people are too pc no it's called being a fucking human being right it's like realizing that as a straight white male you have so many more advantages in your life that you know maybe you shouldn't be able to talk about whatever you want to talk about and maybe you should see it from the other point of view right and that's like and and we're talking about cases where people are for the most part innocent of their own privilege and and Mm -hmm. you know i don't know quite what they're doing i think that the motivation to do that just to piss people off, which is sort of where our president is coming from and where a lot of, you know, where a lot of the, well, like, anti-PC... They're not doing it just to piss people off. They're doing it because <clears throat> they literally are racist. And their point is, right? why are people saying we can't be racist anymore? Right. Like that. No, but but no, but there's <clears throat> what I mean is there's that whole like sort of alt alt right troll army. Yeah. Not all of all whom of are the white. Right, su- su- some are a white. A lot of them started as comedians, by the way. And there's like some interesting. Uh, it's very weird because okay. I know, because I've seen some videos recently. I know two of them. Okay. Like I've come across two of them, and they're both failed comedians. Wow. And there there is a through line that a lot of those alt right guys were like lonely guys or some of them even worse like not lonely like like abusers right but who feel misunderstood right right they go on to websites you know like 4chan or whatever and they're doing shock humor and they're doing like hey i'm not pc but they're confused and they're like you know lonely and those became like breeding grounds and recruiting grounds for neo-nazi places interesting and that's where they all got recruited so like when i take a look at those alt-right guys they're all they all have this like bad stand-up comedy guys <laughs> where they're like you know hey i being pc is suck and they're trying to push your buttons and they're like going hey i'm out there right and it's all because they're like not good enough to be actual comedians they're like on the dark side of the comedy of the force. That's where like, they started. Comedy, yeah. Which was, right, which is like motivated by hate and anger. Maybe. Well, they were, they like, were just motivated by like, yeah, they were motivated by like, I, w- I want to press people's buttons yeah, yeah. because, because I'm, because no, I'm not empathetic and no yeah. one gets me. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. That's, and that's where like, it's easy to recruit people like that. Interesting. Wow. That, that, that is, that's news to me. Um, cool. Let's, let's see what the next video is, huh? Great. So we've got. Jelani Cobb, the author of a book called Substance of Hope, Barack Obama and the Paradox of Progress, 
and he's a writer, staff writer, I believe, for The New Yorker, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's the kind of power that comes from having military advantages and having a large army and weaponry and so on. And there's the kind of power that comes from um, having moral authority and having people invested in in your cause, people believing uh, that you are representative of somehow a better future in some ways. There's a tension between those two kinds of ideals. There are people who point to you know, the United States having this sprawling uh, military empire and bases all around the world as the basis for American power. And there are people who uh, look at this as a kind of, excuse me, people who look at this as a example of a society struggling to be democratic, to operate and organize itself as a democracy. At the beginning of his presidency and during the campaign, uh, Barack Obama relied more on the latter than the former. He famously, when he was campaigning for a Senate seat uh, in Illinois, talked about his opposition to the Iraq war. Um, he did say he wasn't opposed to all wars, just dumb wars, and he categorized this as a dumb war. Uh, but when he talked about the United States, what he really uh, dwelled on was the strength of the U.S. as an example, which was ironic that people then said that, you know, the people accused him of not thinking that the United States was exceptional, or not embracing the doctrine of American exceptionalism. Uh, and what he actually did was voice that doctrine, but had kind of separated it from the chest-thumping, jingoistic, um, narcissism that we think of you know, exceptionalism as. When we look at the way his presidency has evolved, it's been a kind of complicated balance of that moral authority and then the military might. And you saw that transition immediately, like early in his presidency, when he used uh, SEAL Team 6 to take out the individuals in Somalia, on the coast of Somalia, who had uh, kidnapped Americans. For some people it seemed paradoxical for this person who had talked about hope and change uh, to kind of use military might in that way. There are people who also uh, thought that kind of same idea about him and the approach they took to nullifying the threat that Osama bin Laden posed by flying into the you know, sovereign territory of another country and using the military to, uh, to kill this person and, and remove him. There is, in an ideal world, a way of, uh, you know, using power that does not entail the oppression and exploitation of other people. I just don't know how we get to that world. And in the context of that, I don't know what you prescribe in place of that. All right, so we're not, you know, trying to be political experts here, but we let's, let's sure. go Sure, I mean, first that. of all, that guy is jacked. If you want to watch that video, that, that dude is huge. Juwani Cobb is enormous, yeah. Secondly, yeah. 
you know, I was told that you would edit burps out of, <laughs> of these videos. I, I am not the video editor. Okay. Um, and they are extremely, extremely capable. So if there was a burp in there, there's, mm -hmm. there's probably a subtle reason that maybe, we're not aware of. Yeah, maybe it was a power move it might. on the big thinks part. Oh, not against Jelani Cobb. Never. <laughs> no. Some kind of subtle, I think, you know, uh, subliminal messaging. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe. great, great. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, a great choice of a clip when you're talking about comedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, the point is, like, you are, you know, as someone who works in comedy, like, you are thinking about sort of the state of America. I mean, America mm -hmm. is a country that, like, I mean, on the one hand, it, like, gives comics a fair amount of freedom. You don't go to jail, mostly. Right. On the other hand, like, oppressive regimes like this one, you know, provide great fodder for stuff like Lenny Bruce back in the day, right. and, you know, certain types of comedy. Yeah, so. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. It's the the question of, you know, at what lengths will you go to to protect your stuff? You know what I mean? It's right. like, you know, he's talking about Osama bin Laden and, um, mm. you know, just straight up murdering him in a way. And like, yeah. that was always just a given of like, that's cool, right? That, that are, was, you, are you not cool with that? Because I'm not sure. I actually, okay. I actually am probably cool with it. I'm yeah. like, I, I, you know, it's funny when, when Richard Spencer got punched um, <laughs> recently. Right. There was a big, on Twitter, there were two totally separate factions. There were the people who were like, awesome, Richard Spencer got punched. Right. Couldn't the, happen to a more deserving yeah. guy. Yeah. And there was the faction saying like, guys, the, you know, have we learned nothing from... MLK and, and people who preach peace, you know, like you cannot respond to violence with violence. And then people would come back and say, well, what other way is there to deal with a Nazi but do what my grandfather did, which is go wipe them out? You right. Know? And okay, so here's where I land on that is if the person who punched Richard Spencer gets caught, they should be willing to do the time for what that crime is. Right. And I'm never not going to laugh at it when I watch it. <laughs> it's like, gotcha. it's hilarious to me that this guy got punched and I love watching it to various songs, to Born in the USA <laughs> right. and In the Air Tonight. And gotcha. um, it's always going to make me laugh. I think I'm in that latter, I think I'm in that sort of school marmish moralistic mm -hmm. camp where I Which, like, I mean, I'm no fan of Richard Spencer and I certainly think that you know, he's probably done a great deal more harm than punching people simply by talking mm -hmm. and writing books. I mean, he, you know, he's incited like a movement. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. But he hasn't. But I'm kind but of okay. But he didn't like he punch that guy. He hasn't know? broken the law in the way that like when the Nazis started up in Germany, if that were to happen in this country, they would be breaking certain laws, hopefully. But then you see what's happening in the country and you know, we, supposedly we have checks and balances, but a lot of them are totally unenforceable where, um, yeah. you know, if you have enough people in power, like the Nazis were, they're not gonna use those checks and balances to uh, check the people in power because they're in power and they wanna, they wanna keep the power, so. I mean, I suppose, yeah, everyone's gotta kinda draw the line somewhere. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I need, I feel like in the America that I currently live in, I need to make a, like, list of atrocities that would cause me to like to become militant and go yeah well, that's like, the thing is is like sometimes protesting <laughs> you're you're breaking the law when you protest a lot of times right. you know and it's and and the people go well like in berkeley when um 
that Milo dude. Um, Yiannopoulos. Yeah, or whatever, when the he guy spoke, from Breitbart, yeah. Why do they have to start fires? Yeah, and 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 I sort of agree because you know it was it, it's they it's, were I didn't I didn't actually I've been I've been in sort of like mm-hmm. like post traumatic stress disorder right. with respect to Facebook and so lately. the protesters they, they were protesting him speaking at Berkeley and they started trashing stuff and started fires got you and that you know it was like someone once said to me you know when you curse you give the other person permission to not listen to what your point is. Um, right. You know, so if I, w- when I've been mad at someone, I go, you know what, you're acting like a cunt. You know, right. it's like they automatically can now go, you have no point because you called me that. Right. Um, <clears throat> and, and certainly, <throat> I, you know, I've, and I've heard like that in the minds of like the Bannon types, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the Breitbart types that inciting these kinds of reactions is beneficial to yeah, them. Yeah, you look at what like, then Donald Trump gets to say about him and goes, these protests are out of control. Right. Shut them down. Left bring wing, in the yeah, yeah. I'm going to cut off funding to Berkeley, and that because it was because it was a fire. At the same time, there are people who go like, no, we need to make, we can't just roll over and let people do whatever they want. And a lot of times, when you are protesting, you are breaking some sort of law. There's yeah. peaceful resistance. There there are people who are fine with getting arrested for protesting, you know, and they, and they're like, that that that. Sure, I'm going to break the law there. But it's worth it, you know. And then there are the people in the '70s who were like, "Hey, I'm gonna go bomb a post office <laughs> right. after they've all left at like eight o'clock at night, um, and I'm gonna break the law there." But it's worth it because the industrial machine is committing these atrocities in Vietnam and and elsewhere, and I need to bring attention to that. But how different is that than the people who are like? Right. The America is is committing atrocities by aborting babies, and so I'm going to go shoot up an abortion clinic or murder a doctor. You know, there there's. I mean, I'm going to say right here that if like that wall gets built in any mm-hmm. substantial way, I mean, there already is like a. There's fence. already a fence. I yeah, mean, yeah. But if they turn, you know, if they like try to go all, you know, mm-hmm. East Berlin <clears throat> on that thing. But like, there's a different there's a difference though with East Berlin. East Berlin was to keep people in. Right. You know, we're like trying to keep people out. Yes. You know what I mean? And every country, like you say, there's already a fence. What's the difference in a wall? You right. know, it's to keep it's to protect our borders. Like every nation has a right to protect its borders, and that's what he's talking about in that clip is like, well, at what point does a peace loving person say, Hey, we need to protect what we have here and Osama bin Laden can't come in here and can't yeah. murder 3,000 people without there being repercussions. Right. I don't know. Everyone kind of has to make those judgments, and you, you would say, well, no, the law should make those judgments. Because if you, if you start to say, like, people can make those judgments, every person has a sliding scale of what they think is acceptable, yeah. and it should just be the law. But then laws get changed all the time, well, and there are unjust laws. I, right. I mean, I, I'm pretty, like, I'm a fan of the Supreme Court, but I'm a mm-hmm. little worried about kind of where, sure. where we're going to end up if, like, you know, several of the justices retire, and then it becomes heavily sure. skewed right. But at least, like, all of them, even the sort of, even the, the, the sort of most deeply disturbing Supreme Court justice, they're really smart, and they yeah. know the law. And they you know. thought about these issues <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot. They just don't agree with you, right? On them. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. You know, and so and so. Do you then say, well, because they don't agree with with something that I feel is so inherently human, which is that people deserve equal rights, or people deserve to not be shot when they're walking down the street just because lunatics 
want to own guns, you know? Like, right. does that then give you the right to go like, well, we need to take the Supreme Court out, you know? It's like, right, right. you know, it, it becomes a very slippery and yet, slope. And yet, you know, America was founded by a People bunch who of, a rabble, were oppressed. You know, who got hold of some guns and yeah. said no more, so, you know. So it's it's a very <laughs> dangerous question, but I, am I happy that Osama bin Laden is dead? Yeah, probably. Am I happy Richard Spencer got punched? Yeah, probably. Okay, all right, all right. So we'll, yeah, we'll, We'll, we'll leave it there then. And they are equals, I should say. Richard Spencer and Osama, and Osama bin, bin Laden. Laden. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess their punishments did differ, right? right? I mean, R- Richard Spencer wasn't taken out by a Navy SEAL team. so Although, that would be that cool could, could if happen. that happens. By Might the way, happen. I and I fully admit that like we're talking about stuff that I probably have not thought out all that well, and there are probably people sitting there going like, oh God, he's so stupid, why is he talking about Well, I mean, so the premise of this show, in case anyone didn't know that, which I think most of the folks who listen Mm -hmm. do, is that we just use these clips as a springboard to conversation on the assumption, not that we're experts. That we're experts, yeah, Yeah, but there are probably people who have taken, you know, courses in these kind of, like, issues that have have thought about this stuff way more than I have so you know I apologize if I'm coming from a position of ignorance but, oh fully um, yeah and likewise um, I you know we're not entitled maybe to be ignorant but I suppose we're entitled to have opinions on the military might of our own mm-hmm, nation right mm-hmm. and those kinds of sure things I mean I'm happy that it, you know. I'm happy that no one has blown us up <laughs> with nuclear weapons yes that is you good. know it's good that I'm that happy about happened. that It's been a long, hard road to get there. That's probably not that cool in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And Hiroshima, probably not the coolest thing that ever happened. No, no. Although I've, you know, someone has sat there and explained to me why that was, you know, someone who's read a lot more World War II books than I have. Why it was necessary Why that was, you know, that brought an expedient end to the war. Otherwise, many more people would have died. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow. It's tough. I'm I'm happy I'm not in (laughs) that position where I have to think about that. That's why I wonder why Donald Trump would want to be in that position. The fact that he led, you know, that he ordered that raid in Yemen is like, and he still is, tweeting about Nordstrom and stuff after that like he he I don't know very I'm not ca- sure he very... even really wants to be in that position no he hates it he hates it he I saw him this morning <laughs> he was meeting with the CEOs of a bunch of airlines and it was um I was just getting up it was like eight in the morning and he looks tired and his hair his hair looks worse than I've ever seen it before and I'm not talking about how it normally right, looks right, but right. it's like he's not even trying with that hair that hair is like a thing he has to construct yeah he's barely trying with it anymore it's like he's so the just, hair may be a meaningful bellwether of like yes, where donald's at and exactly any like. <laughs> he, he he cannot stand it there is going to be a time where he basically just goes you know what washington not really necessary for me to be here anymore i'm just going to be at trump tower and then he's just going to do whatever he did before where he's like hanging out in trump tower going to mar-a-lago and and you know just he'll he'll abdicate all of the responsibilities because to steve bannon yeah and him. it's a it's a bummer to do that i don't want to do that job either god the what you have to the way you have to work on that job i mean obama like, like held that with such like i mean i'm not saying he was perfect but he held, no. carried that with such like he moral had such a responsibility you know, like, yeah to to like he a man knew. you know he sat there and he was just like okay i mean you know he knew being the first black president too if he did something to 
dishonor the integrity of the presidency in any like major meaningful way other than just the, you know people go he did yeah because of whatever you know like but i mean in a major way of like you know some of the scandals that have happened before like bill clinton or what have you um, richard nixon like that would ruin the chances for another black president for right for generations right you know exactly. because because in some people's mind they would go see i knew we couldn't trust him you know so, and, I, and that's 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 right. And I I almost couldn't follow anything you just said because I'm still tripping with PC remorse over having said he carries himself like a man. <laughs> I just I just yeah, was like I'm that, thinking that of all the bummer. women out there in the audience, yeah. and I'm like, no, like a woman could carry herself like. But sure, I, but I, I mean, but, I guess but, what but, I meant was he stood up to the responsibility. Yes, and and what's good about you though is is like <laughs> we were taught to talk like that. That's been something that's ingrained in our in our lives <laughs> ever since we were kids of like walk like a man, talk like a man, right. hold yourself like a man, and that's been the standard. Yeah. What's good about you is you're recognizing it and going, well, why is that the standard? How about a human being? And let's just change it to that. Right, right. See, so um, women out there, please continue listening to the please show. Please continue to date him. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, well, um, if that's what I you're I don't know into. if my wife would be okay with oh. that, but. Um, but anyway, Scott Ackerman, thank you so much for being on Think Again. Thank you. And, um, and your show, which is coming out on Netflix, is? Michael Bolton's Big Sexy Valentine's Day special. It's out now. Um, anyone can watch it. Certainly, it doesn't have to be Valentine's Day. It's just a dumb, funny comedy special where Valentine's Day is the excuse that we're making it. Nice. So get yourself a nice cup of cocoa and, and your favorite honey and, and watch that. And pour the honey into the cocoa. <laughs> exactly. That actually Ew. sounds disgusting. Ew. Honey and cocoa. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for being Thank on today, you. Scott. And that's it for another episode of Think Again. I want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're new to the show, thank you for tuning in. And if you've been with us from the beginning, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I've been hearing from a lot of people recently. I've been asking folks to write in to jason at bigthink.com. And I still encourage that if you'd like to, just to tell me kind of where you are, why you listen, what it is you like about the show, any feedback that you want to share with me, and I've really, really enjoyed reading those and responding to them as well. If you have a second um, and can rate or review the show on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen, that would be really much appreciated. I love reading those reviews. Um, they're, they're all very informative to me, and then it really helps people discover the show as well. So. Please rate and review us if you can, and we'll be back next week with another great episode and hope you can join us. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.